Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of From Paper to People, Ancestors Alive Genealogies podcast for live folks that obsesses on dead folks. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Carolyn Nee Lachlan. And first, I have a little report from the Department of Humblebrag. We hit 6,500 downloads in 30 countries this week. I have my eye on you, Ireland, Italy, Jamaica, Brazil, and India. We have three new patrons, Suzanne Olden, Margaret Eves, and Sarah Crow. And Sarah is also our new moderator in the Facebook group to make sure that everybody is feeling loved. She's helping keep the conversation flowing smoothly. Now we have a new department. It's the Department of Gentle Nag. And there are a few notes for you from this department this week, my pumpkins. First, we have an anti-bot rule in the Facebook group. So in order to gain admittance, there are three questions you must answer. If you don't answer all three within 24 hours of application, your request will be deleted and you must reapply. It's nothing personal. It's just policy. But please be aware of it and please answer those three questions. It helps us all stay focused so that Sarah and I can do the work that we need to do to keep the Facebook group flowing and happy. Second, if you've DNA tested, especially on Ancestry, but you have no online tree, or you haven't attached your DNA to the tree that you have online, yet you're wondering why nobody is answering your requests for information or for contact, the reason is right in front of you. People who don't attach their DNA to their trees are considered dilettantes by people who are serious. Put your tree online or attach your DNA to your online tree. Research that tree according to the methods that I'm teaching in this podcast, and folks will take you seriously. You will get responses, you will get to meet cousins, and questions will get answered by the universe. Third, if you have any unclear parentage, your own or your parents, or even a question back some generations in your tree, for the love of all that's holy, shrub your existing tree. It's the point of what I'm teaching every episode in this podcast. Well, except for the ones that talk about like cornbread and stuff, but you know what I'm saying. If you don't know what I mean when I say shrub, listen specifically to episode 15 for the how-tos. But shrubbing is scattered throughout most of the episodes in this podcast because it's key to what I do. So really, just listen to all the episodes of this podcast and you will absolutely know what I'm talking about. Alrighty then. It's not my usual forte, nor the podcast's common obsession, but when you talk about shrubbing or working with DNA to find relatives, sooner or later, you're going to reach out to the living. And this is how I do it. Digging into old, musty, dusty records is one thing, but trying to find people who are still on Earth or who only recently departed it is quite another. There's very limited information available on Ancestry, though it is there, concerning the breathing community. Google searches can turn up some small things, but tools like Bin Verified and some others I'll name in a minute provide current listings that have been updated as recently as just a month ago. Listings that draw upon continual updates from multiple public records sources and that can help you to contact folks by post, by social media, by email, and even by phone. I use a database that has a website and an app called Bin Verified, a tool that is very useful to people who are working to find relatives in a tree that is severely lacking 
in recent generations. It could be a question of working downwards from great aunts and great uncles as you shrub to find present day relatives, or it could be helpful to find DNA cousins and work backwards to find a common ancestor when you're in the throes of filling in blanks where questions of maternity and paternity live. We'll take a look at hypotheticals that show how both of these can be useful to you. I'll also tell you how to remove your information from all of these databases and applications if you don't want to be found. When I tell you all of the information that's available through these tools, you'll probably want to know how to do that. As I said, I have a membership with a company called Bin Verified. It's one of a family of websites and apps that are essentially enhanced white pages databases. They're available in the United States and Canada for sure. I don't know about other countries, but I imagine that similar types of applications are available there as well. The purpose of these sites is to serve as a one-stop shop for researchers who want information available in public records, but who don't want to do a lot of the research themselves. I mean, think about it. Who wants to run around and try and find courthouse records and try to find the latest email address and the latest social media and the latest phone records and the latest, just, it's not something that anybody really wants to do. Been verified puts all of this together, as do these other companies, and it charges $9.95 per month. With that, it provides this all-encompassing public records access to all of its subscribers. It's a lot of information. Frankly, it's a little bit scary. And I will tell you that I have removed all of my own information from Been Verified and from every other one of these sites out there because I don't like being that findable. I don't want people to come showing up at my door because they've got a grudge with me because of something that I said on Facebook. But of course, being a researcher and a hypocrite, that doesn't stop me from using these very sites to find people in aid of my clients' needs. Some of the other sites that are available for researchers in the United States and Canada are easy to search out online. In fact, all you have to do is Google your own name. You'll find yourself, and when you do, you'll see the names of all of these websites or apps that list you. All of those data aggregation websites are subject to membership. They are also subject to you removing your data, as we'll discuss. So I did a little hunt and I tried to compile a comprehensive list of all of these various websites and tools that are out there that could possibly be listing you and that either used to list me or that could conceivably list me in the future. This is what I found, okay? Here we go. Intellius, White Pages, Spokio, Canada 411, Public Data Digger, Zaba Search, True People Search, Fast People Search, Zoom Info, People Smart, Nuber, which is like number, only instead of an M, they flip it and they make it into a W, so they get kind of cute. Instant Checkmate, Truth Finder, Check People, People Looker, People Finder, 411, Anywho, People, but it's P-I-P-L, again, kind of cute. Find People Search, Spy Talks, Go Look Up, Spy Fly, and Public Records Now. That's what I could find. I know that there are more out there. I've placed a list of links to every search service that I could find for the U.S. and Canada on my website. 
Just go to research tools, then people search apps underneath that to find the list at ancestorsalivegenealogy.com. And if you have any additions, let me know so that I can add them. And especially if you have any additions for countries outside of the U.S. and Canada, let me know because I will list them by country. Absolutely. I want to make those available to everybody I possibly can. Now, there's something called LifeWire. It's a kind of a how-to, a kind of a DIY site. And you can find it, I think it's just LifeWire.com. And they promise to teach you how to do these kinds of searches for live folks for free. That's great. That's fine. Normally, I do like to get my hands dirty. But in the case of something like this, where I want to look up people, I really like a reliable graphic system, a graphic interface in an app that will return a predictable range of records. I use Been Verified, although I did try Intellius at one point and I did try White Pages at one point because I like its graphic interface. And I like the fact that it's a website and it has both tablet and smartphone apps and that it returns information that I can associate together to give me up to three generations of a family by searching for just one individual. Some are owned by the same company, so more than one membership in any of these particular sites or apps is not really useful for researchers, in my opinion. Basically, you have to assess them according to the screen layouts on your computer. What do you like best? What works for you? Then what records does each one provide? There are some small variations from one to the next. Finally, which one provides a phone app? Is that something that you would want or would you prefer to just work on your computer? And most important, I think, is to go back to that first thing that I said. Make sure that the layout is something that pleases your eye and makes sense to the way that you process information. Because remember what I've talked about throughout this podcast. Different people learn different ways. Different people process information in different ways. So you have to find the thing that works best for you. Add all of this together to help you decide which one you'd like to use. So if you're interested in using one of these sites, I'd recommend doing a little bit of shopping around and looking at them, examining them, and trying them out before actually buying a membership. And also, prices may vary. And there's another little thing. If you buy in, you can threaten to quit and they will offer you deep discounts in your monthly price in order to keep you. Just a little trick that I learned. Now, let's look at it in terms of shrubbing. Shrubbing a tree that already exists and coming downwards in order to find cousins, people who you know are related to you. Recently, I decided to dig back into a problem that I've been dealing with for years in my own tree, a brick wall problem on my mother's side. For years, all I had was the name of my mother's first cousin once removed. And my uncle, my mom's brother, kept asking me, what have you found about cousin Jake? What about cousin Jake? My uncle really couldn't care less about any of the rest of the really interesting stuff in my tree, like me finding out that our mutual ancestor was a bigamist. Listen to episode one for that particular story. But he was jumping up and down about Cousin Jake. His real name's not Cousin Jake, by the way, but let's just say that it is. Anyway, I've been making slow progress on Cousin Jake for years now. First, I found evidence of Cousin Jake's death then that he had a wife, and most recently, that he had kids 
who are alive and well and all over social media. I've reached out to them in the past few days and actually have established contact with one of them. So that's pretty cool. And I don't know whether that's given my uncle a sense of peace or not, but I did at least convey that information to him. So I think I've done my job. So how did I do this? Magic? Genius? Neither. First, I played out Ancestry hints. Then I used the spyglass search function in Ancestry to find all I could about Cousin Jake through the more remote documents in Ancestry like public records, which looked to have been White Pages listings when he was still alive. Then I looked for an online obituary for Jake on Google, which I found. It let me fill in more blanks by providing names of survivors and steered me toward Jake's data on Find a Grave. His headstone had room on it for a wife who hadn't passed yet, so that paralleled the wife I thought I'd found in Ancestry documents and in the obituary. All of this together told me that Jake's family is in Taos, New Mexico. He had a few children, and I was able to glean their names from obituary materials and guess at their ages from Jake's birth year. So I used that information to search for them one at a time in Taos, New Mexico, on Bin Verified. And yes, I found them. The Bin Verified tool is for the US only. Its initial interface asks for full name, state from a drop down menu, city, which is optional, and age, which is also optional. I found their contact info, their social media, LinkedIn and Facebook included, and their relatives. Each profile on Bin Verified allows you to look at a series of lists for your individual subject. The first is personal overview, which shows a map like Google Maps, pinpointing your subject's address and provides the following type of information. Betty Bowersox is 60 years old and currently lives at 15 Clover Hill Lane, Valley Cottage, New Mexico, 01234. Betty can be contacted by calling area code 123-456-7890 or email bbsox375 at hotmail.com. Second, contact information, which shows a full listing of all phone numbers and all email addresses associated with the name you've researched as listed in public records. Third, address history, which is self-explanatory. Fourth, relatives, which shows all relatives by name, each as a hot link because each of these relatives shown has their own profile as well. Age, address, and then information showing when that listing at that address was first seen in public records and last seen in public records. It doesn't show how anyone is related, so figuring out a tree from this listing takes some common sense and some intuition. Ages will tell you who is in what generation. In Jake's family, I was able to find his wife because of her first name, his kids, and his grandkids with names and ages. That's three generations from essentially one lookup. Fifth, associates, which could be business associates or relatives of in-laws. It's frequently not clear who these people are, but it's always good to check this list just in case the names are familiar to the tree you're working on. Six, neighbors, which you really won't need, frankly, unless you're trying to get some information that you absolutely need to talk to somebody about, but I don't know. I don't see why you would need that. Seventh, Criminal and traffic records, which, if nothing else, will provide a date of birth as reported to the court or to the police. 
Eighth, bankruptcies, which would also provide a date of birth. Ninth, property, which you really won't need, but that would probably show, well, it'll definitely show ownership. It could even show where they're renting property, and it'll only echo where their last residence is, so it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. Tenth, photos, which are drawn from social media profiles and which may be of the individual you're researching or which may be memes or other essentially useless faff that people post on their Facebook profiles and as photos. Eleventh, professional, which may help elaborate on something you know or suspect about this person, such as a family business. It can also actually, if there are multiple people with the same name showing up and been verified, help you to root out the person who is not your relative. Twelfth, education, which could also be useful or not if everybody in your family goes to Iowa State and this person goes to some other university, then maybe this person is actually not your relative and you need to go do another search. And the magic thirteenth, social media and websites, which will lead you to ways that you can contact this person as I did with Jake's daughters and sons. One thing, if a person is listed but is deceased, their exact date of death will be listed in their own profile under personal overview. That can be very helpful. If you fill that in in Ancestry, that is really cool because it can pull up social security death information. It can pull up death records of other different kinds and that can help you to build more information into your tree and I've seen these death dates listed in been verified as far back as the mid 1990s but posted within the last few months so there's a couple of decades worth of data there and that's very very good if you're trying to build a tree in this way using shrubbing this search helped me to bring Jake's tree down to present-day relatives, whom I then approached on social media, as I said, to see whether they'd like to be in contact and to learn more about their roots. To my understanding, they were isolated from the larger family as of 1949, so I'm not even sure that they know about some crucial health information that I could provide for them with death certificates. You know, they could inherit some stuff and, and they need to know that. And I have this information just in case they don't. Once I double checked the names from been verified against the names from the obituary, I was able to enter all of this stuff absolutely for sure into Ancestry. Now, there's another way to use Been Verified, and that is if you have unclear parentage or you're working with DNA in some way, okay? And this is really important. This is how you hunt down cousins with DNA in a family where ties to parents or to grandparents aren't yet very clear. I've done this with adoptees, fosters, and in reparational work. To give you an example of as much as I possibly can of what you can do with this. I'm going to make up a story that's the conflation of a lot of different searches that I've done over the past few years. So no real persons are named or are being harmed in the making of this podcast. I have this client. Her tree is a double whammy. She's African-American and she was adopted. But because she was born in Florida, 
she was only provided with what is called a non-identifying birth certificate. This is one of the curses of states' rights laws. Some states here in the U.S. actually bar adopted individuals from knowing who their parents were. It doesn't matter if the adoptee is deceased or if the adoptee is 15 years old. It doesn't matter if the adoptive parents are deceased for a century or if they live around the corner. The adoptee is never allowed to know the true identity of his or her parents because laws state that the parent's right to privacy overrides the child's right to know who his or her parents were. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. A child even a 65-year-old child, is never allowed to know who his or her natural parents were. Therefore, the original birth certificate, or OBC, is permanently locked away from any researcher and any descendant of those parents. No amount of litigation, no amount of medical concern, or urgent need based on genetic disease can compel a court to unlock an OBC in Florida. Now, Florida's not the only state. New York is as well. There are a lot of other states in the country that have similar laws. And personally, I have an opinion on this. I think it's abhorrent. And it's something that a lot of people have to deal with. As a result, my client has no idea exactly where she came from. She was able to pry certain pieces of information out of the adoption agency that handled her placement. From this, she knows that the surname that she carries is her natural mother's surname. She knows that furthermore, she was named for her mother's father. She knows the state in which her mother was born and the city, and that her grandfather was a carpenter in that state. She suspects that she knows her father's surname because someone in her adoptive family once drunkenly told her her father's identity at a wake, but she's not sure. My friend and student, who I will call Cora, her name's not Cora, but let's just say that it is, took a DNA test. The first and most exciting part was that she actually got to see where in Africa she came from. She got to see her full admixture, which included European descent. Considering she is African-American, this is not uncommon or not at all unexpected. She and her family are, after all, products of the African slave trade and of centuries of enslavement here in the United States. So part of her paternity, generations back and probably on both sides, included slavers who forced themselves on their enslaved female workers. Step two, after looking at the admixture, was to attach that DNA to a tree. Remember how I mentioned that at the top of the episode. It's very important to do this. Attach that DNA to the tree, however small or tentative the tree is. And then it was important that she start to examine cousins as they popped up in comparison to her DNA combined with that tree on ancestry. First cousins and people who showed as first cousins or close relatives who could be interpreted as anywhere from first cousins to great nieces and great nephews, did start to pop up immediately. One of them had an incredibly uncommon name. His name was Theo Monday Israel. That's not his real name, but mm, let's just say it is. Theo had no tree in place and no information whatsoever in his personal profile. No city, no age, no photograph, nothing. 
and you know how I hate that. But his name was uncommon, so there was a way out. Because I had been verified and Theo's name was incredibly uncommon, I searched been verified for a Theo Monday Israel, any age, any location. And sure enough, there was one Theo Monday Israel in been verified. He was 55 years old. He lived in Chicago and it showed that he had six family members. It also showed a photograph. This photograph was from his Facebook page. So while I started examining all of these associated names and places and information on been verified, Cora, who was sitting next to me while we were doing this, looked at Facebook and Theo and Cora shared some facial features. So cool. It was a very emotional and powerful moment for Cora. Meanwhile, I was jumping back into it and I was bogged down in facts, building information in a small mirror tree of Theo in Cora's account. Now, this sounds hard and it's a little bit hard to explain. It's a lot easier for me to show on video. And for my Patreon patrons, I am going to do a video for you. And so that's going to be a little bonus for you. I will be showing you how to do this within this next week. But what I did actually was very simple. Within Cora's Ancestry account, I went to search and I looked for Theo Monday Israel with a birth year of 1963, because that would be appropriate to his age, and a birthplace of Chicago. I found some records that pertain to him and I created him as a person in the account, but not attached to anyone in Cora's tree by attaching the first record I found, a public record that was some sort of white pages listing, to a new person. I created Theo Monday Israel in Cora's account from scratch with this record. This way, he was floating around in the space that was Cora's ancestry account, and he was findable in the name search field, but he didn't show up on Cora's tree at all. You see what I'm saying? He existed in the space, but he wasn't attached to anybody. Some folks call this creating a fallen branch. The idea is that I'd build his tree up in this space as a separate branch. I'd take it backwards. I'd take Cora's tree backwards as she learned more. And eventually, Cora and Theo would find their common ancestor, and then they could connect up via this ancestor. To do this, the next step would be for Cora to contact Theo and then hope to figure out how Theo's tree and Cora's tree connect. That meant skillful, kind messaging through the ancestry system. And that's how you try to figure out how people with unclear paternity, maternity, or both fit together with proven DNA cousins. In the same way that I added three generations of Uncle Jake's surviving family tree to my tree, I added all of Theo Monday Israel's people to his mirror tree, to his fallen branch in Cora's ancestry account. From names, surnames, and ages listed in the relatives section of Theo's profile in Been Verified, I found Theo's parents, children, and grandchildren. I figured out that Theo was divorced because his wife was using a surname that didn't correspond to anyone else in Theo's family, but that did correspond to a man of similar age in his wife's relatives listings. I got lots of goodies that could help Cora a lot with her future communications with Theo. Remember, 
all of this work in a mirror tree or a fallen branch is theoretical. In fact, anything added from bin verified is absolutely scratch work and it's subject to change, but it is a starting point. It is there in ancestry to trigger hints and it can easily be wrong. But when building a mirror tree, the point is to make educated guesses from public records. And Cora's tree, of course, is private. I ask that all of my students keep their trees private until they're very certain about things, but never more so than when someone is dealing with an anomaly of parenthood or a deep question concerning DNA. And I have a very cool update. Seriously, I think it was Thursday, much to my surprise, I got a text from Cora. She got in touch with Theo. I mean, she really literally got in touch with Theo. They've been writing and they've even talked on the phone. And it turns out both are uncertain about the identity of a parent. So both are unclear about which side of Cora's family they have in common. But they definitely are first cousins and been verified helped them find one another. Ancestry alone might not have done that. They might have simply asked each other, do you have so-and-so in your family? No. Do you have so-and-so in your family? No. Gee, I don't know how we're related. And it would have been like that. But with been verified, it gave them the ability to, to ask some deeper questions and to talk about, well, my parents were like this. My parents did this. This is what was happening. This is what I know. This is what I don't know. And as a result of that, yeah, they're getting to know each other. And these two people who never would have had a chance to really talk, they're actually becoming family. And that's down to been verified. So tools like this, I think, we don't talk about them very much, but they are an essential. Now, I'm going to completely turn around on myself here, right? Because I'm going to let you know how you can get yourself off of these tools if you don't want people knowing where you live. And if you don't want people seeing if you have some sort of a bankruptcy in your past, you know, that you have a bankruptcy in your past. So here's the deal. Getting yourself off of all of these databases is simple, but it's time consuming. If you want to do it, you have to go to each one separately. Every single one of these sites, you have to find yourself in the listings. You have to go to the bottom of the page and it's going to say something like remove my listing, remove my info, opt out, something like that. If you're lucky, in really tiny letters. If they're real jerks though, and sometimes they are, it's just gonna say, contact us. Isn't that annoying? Okay, so here's what you do. You click on that, whatever it is, and then they're gonna lead you through a merry dance with contact forms, and they're gonna ask you for the specific URL information of the page where your information exists. They're gonna ask you for one of the email addresses that's listed there or whatever. And they're going to make you jump through hoops before they will, in fact, remove your information. Frequently, you have to scour each site to find the right links that lead you to the place where you can remove your data. I mean, you, you really have to look, okay? Am I making this clear? You have to look. Since the data is drawn from public records, it's the same data pretty much everywhere, but it's drawn over and over again. I'm not really sure how often they do these draws, maybe yearly, I'm not sure. But it takes weeks to get yourself off of all of these sites all told because you heard me list out how many of these sites there are, right? I mean, 
there are a lot of these sites. Uh, the reason why is really pretty obvious, yeah? Every single one of these sites charges a monthly fee to people who use the site. So that's what they're doing. They're making money off of public records. So on the one hand, it's really useful and it's awesome. And I'm telling you, oh, you should get a membership and you should use it. And on the other hand, I'm saying, take your data off because they're horrible because they charge money to make your data available to other people. So I don't know, you're going to have to weigh this out for yourself and, and decide how you feel about the morals of it. I don't know. I just take my data off. So that's how that one works. If you want your privacy, it's worth it to take that into your own hands and take your information off. But then again, it's good for your clients or good for yourself to utilize one tool and to talk the price down as much as you can. And you should Google yourself every few months just to make sure that you haven't popped up on any of these things. I repopulated on one of these sites a month or two ago and um, immediately had my stuff removed again. So on that pleasant and somewhat conflicted note, I bid you farewell for this week. Thank you so much for listening. My contact forms are ready for you. So whether you want to just comment on something or you actually want to be on the podcast, please bring a recipe and an ancestor. Come and be on the family cookbook. That would be so awesome. Stop by ancestorsalivegenealogy.com and drop me a line on either of those contact forms. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, and Facebook using the links that are on my website as well. Until next time, have a great week. Do your research. Don't be a Jeffrey. Look for the live ones. And above all, expect surprises.